0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Good morning, good morning. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with J.C. Sherbert here on a Tuesday, December 15th. want to say a special shout out to my mother, uh, Martha. Martha. It's her birthday today, December 15th, so everybody, uh, she's not on Twitter, so you can't give her a, a shout-out on Twitter or anything, but uh, she's a school teacher in Greenville County and certainly uh, have the best mom in the world and uh, wanted to go ahead and give her a nice shout-out here on the podcast right off the bat. I hope all of you guys are doing well out there in Gamecock I'm recording this in the morning, so it's going to precede any sort of possible breaking news today. I don't really know that I expect any. Uh, but maybe, um, I think some of these assistant coaching hires are actually going to wait until after the early signing period, especially if they're at another school. Uh, although the info could obviously leak out. So we'll see kind of what happens, uh, with that, uh, today, we're going to kind of get into signing day. Uh, I know that's something that, you know, you always are interested in. Had this been a normal non COVID year, I think the recruiting info would be fast and furious. There'd be guys, Uh, getting surprise visits uh, from the new coaching staff and and all that good stuff. I think the staff will be more in place, uh, but because of of the delay in the season uh, and then the fact the NCAA, for whatever reason, has decided that uh, it's going to be completely dead until April 15th, which, you know, and we'll see what happens with with how they do the the signing. I mean, I I honestly think that it's totally unfair uh, to even have an early signing period uh, I mean, I guess kids could go ahead and sign, but you, you got a lot of these kids that are going to sign with school sight unseen. And that's going to like, I think, impregnate the transfer portal to the nth degree here in a couple of years because site unseen is different. You know, uh, I've seen kids uh, and I've covered recruiting a long time. And maybe one day the NCAA will talk to guys like me, uh, even though they're always mad because we cover recruiting because they don't like it. Uh, I th- my theory is it's because they can't make any money off of it. <clears throat> um, maybe they'll talk to somebody sometime and understand that, you know, a kid will have a top five and then go on visits, and that top five is completely scrambled. Uh, they get a feeling on campus. They bond with the coaches in person. Uh, they understand how far someplace really is from where they're at in the car. Uh, you know, th- th- there's all kinds of different things that make the in-person visit necessary. Um, and, and credit to some guys like, um, Nick Oots, uh, the tight end going to Alabama, uh, from Rock Hill, you know, he, he and his dad or or mom or whoever got in the car and drove to Tuscaloosa and, and they couldn't meet with Nick Saban or the coaching staff, uh, but they got out, walked around campus and saw it and kind of got a good idea, a good feel for the place. So credit for those guys, but not everybody can do that. You know, not everybody's mom and dad can get off work and go take them all over the place and that kind of thing. Uh, especially during this era, so you know, I, I think it's it's very unfair. Uh, you know, the NCAA is always talking about fairness, and people are talking about you know the what's in the best interest of student athletes. Uh, I think it's unfair to have a sign to not push the signing period back to at least maybe when you you get a week a week's worth of visits in in the spring, or two weeks or something like that. Uh, but but I don't think they care about recruiting. I think they, they they kind of like to tinker with it and try to kill it and all that good stuff, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, I, I call it the the sheaves approach because I think some people in Indianapolis are under the impression, even though billions of dollars are flowing in with all sports, that it's like it used to be in the 1910s where, you know, sheaves, sheaves put on my sweater and I'm going to go out here in the yards today and put on the leather helmet and, and root, root, root for the old boys, you know. Win one for the Gipper. the leather helmet era and everybody's just standing out there and with their leather jacket on or or their fraternity, you know, jacket on. And then they go to the frat house afterwards and and drink a nice, you know, Chianti or whatever Chianti. (laughs) I probably screwed that one up, but it's, it's an Ivy league approach. It's an ivory tower and Ivy league approach by the NCAA and and the, you know, the Ivy leagues, the Ivy league folks. Uh, This is real, real life football. (laughs) And um so I, I think they take that approach sometimes, like like it's just you know well, you should just go to college for the college and all that good stuff, and that's just unrealistic and not true and so instead of facilitating an opportunity for student athletes to make good choices, you know they want to you know keep them off campuses and 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 you know eliminate visits and things like that now i wouldn't I would never advocate for you know big large groups of visitors coming in during COVID that's not what I'm saying at all but I I think you could have limited it and social distance some guys uh and and made sure you could do it safely with a handful of prospects and their parents um maybe not even their parents maybe you don't even include those guys maybe just include the athletes but um yeah, I don't know. I think it's a it's a disconnect, and and obviously too. If you even if you'd have done that, they, they weren't going to be the same because part of an official visit is going and mixing with the suited body and all that. So I see that, but I I at least think they should have been maybe allowed to meet with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you meet on a nice day out, outside in a park, and six feet away or whatever. Uh, but this whole notion of being completely dead you know, is is going to cause some guys to make some bad choices, you know, Carolina or otherwise, in my opinion. Um, so that's that's really tough, I think, with this early period and the period in February. And, and I don't understand why, you know, you're moving everything else back. I don't understand why this wasn't moved back. And uh, my guess is there's probably some coaches out there that have pretty good classes right now <laughs> that don't want it to be moved back. Uh, you know, so we'll see kind of what uh, – or some administrators that just are clueless. I don't know. But uh, that's that's where we're at right now. And so the Gamecocks are going into signing period. Uh, you know, I would not expect huge numbers. Uh, I would not expect the team ranking to skyrocket. It's low right now, and it'll remain low uh, for a while. And it may not finish very high, you know, because if you think about it, Carolina's probably going to hit the transfer portal. Those guys don't really count when you're doing the team rankings, uh, that type of thing. But I would not focus on that. I'd focus on the individual players that you're getting. And, and look, there's some good ones, uh, you know. And I was very encouraged uh, by the report today on the Big Spur from my good friend and colleague, Tony Morrell, um, that, uh, you know, you, you've got Nick Barrett, the big D tackle from Goldsboro, North Carolina. Um, and, uh, I think he's good, and I think he's a guy you want to get, 6'4", 320, super sleeper. There's one where cutting down all recruiting activities has helped the Gamecocks because some other schools that kind of recruit Eastern North Carolina, before they were able to go see him and, and, and the recruiting analysts and stuff, they, they had some questions about his height. Is he as tall as he's really listed? Which I don't know. He looks tall enough on film. Heck, even if he's 6'2", he's a good player. But um, so there's some questions about him. And we'll see if those questions will be answered. But nobody went to see him because of COVID, and he didn't get to go anywhere in camp because of COVID. Um, and the, the old staff loved him. So, And I love him on film. I think he's one of the most active defensive tackle prospects I've seen. But, you know, is he 6'1", 6'2"? That would be the question and um, that other people had about him. Uh, and so we'll see. Maybe he's not quite 6'4". I don't really care because I've seen a lot of 6'1", 6'2", D-tackles with with his type of ability, get good leverage, uh, and play well on the interior. And, and, you know, sometimes I'd rather have that 6'1", 300-pound guy than maybe a 6'4", 270 guy that gets pushed around. Uh, Omega Blake is signing. Uh, He reversed course publicly. He was going to wait. Devontae Holloman is his coach at South Point, one of the best athletes in the state this year. Uh, they're probably gonna have to start him off at wide receiver uh, in my opinion so you know is he really 6'3 190 now again nobody's seen him uh, I'm not trying to question uh, his information <laughs> but uh, you know if he really is that big now and he can still run and had a productive year on the field look out you know and, and look i I've, I sort of thought maybe defensive back for Omega for a while, and, and he could still end up there. But, but I think after watching him and looking at the needs of the Gamecocks, I think you have to play him at safety. I mean, sorry, at wide receiver to start off with. Marcellus Dial from Georgia Military, you know, Woodruff Kitts, Spartanburg County. Uh, he's signing with the Gamecocks, probably enrolling early. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, without junior college football this year, it, he, may, he may take a while you know, but, but he's an older player. And certainly his film from Woodruff stacked up wasn't a whole lot of junior college film. Um, but, you know, if he can come in and work hard and contribute, that's great. Colton Gawther, I keep getting told five different ways to pronounce his name. I liked Gauthier. I thought that was more fancy, but I was told it was Gothier. Uh The quarterback from Georgia. That's been the quarterback in this class. He's signing and enrolling early. You always need guys at that position to come in and compete. And then Sam Reynolds, the track guy from Alabama, uh, who actually, from what I was told, became a better football player this year. Everybody always knew he was fast, but he had some good moments uh, for Thompson High School in Alabaster, Alabama this year. And so, you know, that was a good evaluation by Bobby Bentley uh, over there getting him because he is fast and I think he can help. You need speed. So, you know, Derwin Burgess is not – commented one way or the other about signing. I think Caleb McDowell is going to sign, although he has not confirmed that. Last I checked, you know, he was good, but that was a couple of weeks ago. So hold the phone there uh, on Caleb McDowell. Isaiah Norris uh, from T.L. Hanna, who's another Georgia military junior college corner uh, is a guy that could potentially sign. He's committed to middle Tennessee, probably going to flip to Carolina. Tennessee also, the volunteers offered him. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good guy. You know, more Norris is a, uh, is a guy that, uh, you know, played in the state. And, and I think that if you're going to hit the JUCO ranks, you know, hitting the JUCO ranks for guys that were in-state guys is usually a, a good winning recipe. So we'll see kind of how that goes. But those are the guys expected to sign. And you also have guys that are committed, you know, in this class. Uh, John Darius Morgan, he said he's holding off. There was some bad film of him in a practice drill that circulated the other day, but I'm not as, uh, you know, I'm not as concerned about that. TJ Sanders has said he's going to hold off. I don't know why. I can't rule out an 11th hour like, I don't know, Sign. I, I don't know who else is really on him. I mean, I guess Indiana. Indiana's having a heck of a year. Can't let Indiana come in and beat you on T.J. Sanders. At the same time, I think the fact that Indiana's offered is a positive because if anybody can evaluate pretty well, I think it's the Hoosiers up there. Uh, But they need Sanders, and and I think they'll keep him, you know, in state. Uh, At the end of the day, That nobody's heard from Jordan Davis from from Creekside. They were in a playoff run. So that's kind of what you're looking at right now uh, as far as, Guys that will sign, you know, you can't rule out anybody being a uh, a, uh, a surprise, you know. Um, I think that uh, what you got to look at, too, is of the guys that remain, you know, who are they? And what do they, you know, what do they bring to the table? You know, rather than looking at, gosh, 93rd in recruiting, 14th in the SEC, Uh, You know, you got a quarterback with a strong arm. That's a start with Colton. Um, You know, you got Omega Blake, one of the best player makers in the state uh, from a school that sent you good players time and time again. You know, you got Sam Reynolds, who's a track star, speedy guy, kick returner, slot guy. You need a guy like that. You know, you got Nick Barrett, a big athletic defensive tackle. You know, um, so you go up and down. you got Marcellus Dial, an older corner, who's from within the state, uh, who had good high school film, just academically had to go to GMC. Uh, you know, and so, so that's your starting point. You know, even if it's five or seven, five to seven guys, you know, that's your starting point. And then Carolina's just going to have to do like like Ole Miss did last year and some of those other new coaching staff. So that's the reality of changing coaches these days, uh, you know, especially during covid they're just going to have to go see what's out there and go go pick and choose. I mean, you could see all kinds of things happen. You know, whether that's you know late blooming JUCO late late qualifying JUCOs, whether that's you know transfers from other schools. The portal is going to get really big here soon. Uh, whether that's high school guys that were late risers, which like the kid from Alabama they offered uh, the last week, the, the safety that had seven special teams touchdowns this year. You know, that's a late riser, you know, from Montgomery. So yeah, go get him. Um and, and you piece it together. You know, and I think South Carolina has a good nucleus of players coming back, should they all come back. And um, you know, you you add these guys to that. Now there's certain positions though, you know, like D tackle where you need older depth. You know, uh, I think linebacker is a place that you need players, period, right now. There's a lot of question marks at that position. Obviously, wide receiver uh, is is a place that they need to probably completely flip that position. Um, and the good news is, at wide receiver, is there's usually some receivers out there. Brandon Johnson, who was one of Tennessee's best receivers a couple of years ago, and then had a good game at the beginning against Carolina, obviously, and then fell off. You know, he's in the portal. I mean, lots of guys, receivers hit the portal like crazy. So that's a good news. D-tackles are harder to come by. Um, you know, Ishmael Shropshire, who's at Bama, you know, he gets a one-way ticket to Los Angeles to play for SC just because those guys are very, very, very valuable. Um, so who knows there? It's more probably more likely you get a JUCO or two at defensive tackle, you know, so that's, uh, that's the deal um, with all that. So we will see what happens in recruiting. Uh, You know, uh, we've got some information about the bowl game looking like it's going to be Tampa or uh, Birmingham. Uh, And we'll see kind of how that goes. That's either the day after Christmas or new year's day. Uh, I know that a lot of people, when they got the news yesterday that T-Rob and Kyle Krantz were going to come back and coach the bowl game, they just don't want any part of it. Um, I, I understand the emotion there because, you know, those were two must-champ guys. They were part of a lot of bad times, <laughs> you know, and, 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 I, and I understand the relief of change, you know, and, and I, I understand that, you know, people were more likely to be excited about the bowl if Mike Peterson was calling the defense. But, you know, the bottom line is those guys were never told, get out. You know, they kind of took it upon themselves to go. Uh, They were never told they weren't coaching the bowl. They were never told anything like that. Um, As far as I know, they were told the same thing everybody else was, and they just interpreted it differently. So they're coming back. And, you know, I I still don't know that it's overly negative as long as the players want to play in the bowl game. I don't see it as being this negative thing. Everybody's worried about getting blown out by whoever or whatever, but I don't see it as this big negative deal. Uh, You know, I think that this program, you know, the worst thing sometimes somebody can say about you is they don't say anything at all in college football because you need exposure. And, you know, you have a chance to go play the day after Christmas when nothing else is on TV at noon on ABC against somebody people will be watching, or, or on New Year's Day where, you know, your highlights are getting played the whole day and your scores are up there the whole day. I mean, it, it's not a bad deal um to get relevance. And, you know, who knows what will happen, you know, in terms of who's available and all that for the other team. You know, South Carolina's not going to play in a bowl game against an SEC team. On top of all that, you know, you keep seeing – teams bail out on games in all sports now because of COVID. So you don't even know if Carolina, even if they accept the bid and go, you know, to do all that, you don't even know if they're going to be able to, you know, play. or the opponents going to – I mean, people were talking about Liberty the other day. I mean, Liberty's had bad COVID issues. You know, Wake Forest uh, is a team that people are saying they're going to play. They've had issues – you know, all the little conference teams, they'll pop up and have COVID issues in a heartbeat. Uh, And so you just don't know, you know, my hope would be if you're going to accept a bowl bid, bubble your guys up, you know, keep them ready to roll. But, you know, if it's January 1st, you know, you've got Christmas, you know, people going home for Christmas before that. Um, So I, I think you're probably more likely to have your full slate of guys, if you played December 26th and, you know, then the guys get to go home for, uh, for new years. And and the players will get a nice two week break. Uh, if you go to the the Gasparilla bowl, in my opinion, in Tampa, and I'm sure, you know, Tampa is a nicer trip than Birmingham. So we'll see kind of what happens with COVID and all that. But I, I, you know, I'm in favor of taking the bowl game just because more practice, you know, a chance to play again, a chance to maybe, I mean, look, Carolina, let's face it, against Kentucky and Georgia, they were were not competitive. Um, So another chance to go be competitive and maybe win a game. Um, You know, I I don't think that some of these teams out there that Carolina's projected to play are as strong as Kentucky and Georgia, you know. Um, They're probably about like Missouri, you know, at best, and Carolina played Missouri within a touchdown. So I think there's a chance to be – you know competitive and all that um and you know sometimes when you're when you're getting beat and you're giving up points and you know mentally you do it week after week after week and all of a sudden you know it's just it's steamroll and you need a break you know you need to get away from it for a while and come back ready to roll and so you know my point of all that is there's nothing that says South Carolina cannot be competitive in a bowl game depending on who they play you know, I don't think they're going to match them up with anybody ridiculously difficult. You know, I saw something where they played Georgia Tech the other day. Georgia Tech, I think, is pulled out of the bowl thing. So, we'll see kind of what, uh, what happens, what occurs with all of that moving forward. So, early signing, bowl talk, assistant coaches are coming. Um, you know, I, from what I hear behind the scenes, I think you guys are going to be happy. Uh, When it comes to assistant coaches, but maybe not. Uh, I think sometimes it's a crapshoot. Everybody was awfully happy with some of the must champ hires and critical of some of the other ones, and it ended up the ones they were recruiting, you know, were were critical of, uh, ended up being the better assistants on the staff. So, all right. So there's two ways to get in the mailbag, and we're gonna rock the mailbag right now. Uh, You could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Or you can email inside the gamecox at gmail.com. And so we got one on Twitter. Well, Scott says, had no idea there was a gamecox podcast. I'm catching up on the Big Spur pod with JC Sherbert. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah, there's a lot of gamecox podcasts, but I appreciate you listening to mine. Mine is basically just a monologue, uh, like a lot of guys out there and talk radio. Uh, they just kind of go with go themselves. I, I do it on purpose because I have the JC and Morgan podcast where it's Mike Morgan and I, and that works well. But, you know, for these purposes, I just I kind of like to get up and just talk Gamecocks, you know, for 45 minutes an hour and interact with all of you in the mailbag, and that's all good. We will have guests from time to time, but that's about it. Um, Cox School says, all right. He's got a big, long thing here. J.C., mailback question. J.C., do you see a disconnect between Gamecock media and admin and fans on the coaching search? All the fans I know wanted Freezer and Napier, but it felt like the media and admin wanted Beamer. We have no choice but to get behind Beamer now, but it seems like our wishes were just ignored. This feels like the latest incident of where the wishes of our media admin were opposed to those of most fans. I feel a divide there and wonder how to repair it. I know you defend Tanner, but I think many of our problems are because of his poor choices and leadership. Anyway, your thoughts on this disconnect between Gamecock sports media and admin and the average fans? Thanks for the podcast. Even when I disagree with you, I enjoy the show. I don't think it's—I don't think you're in the majority here. Uh, I think the vast majority of fans, and I'm—I'm you know, I'm supposed to keep up with this too. It's not just fans on the big spur; uh, it's fans on social media, Facebook, Twitter. You know, people I know, and and they, it was not like the, fan, the media and Ray Tanner shoved Shane Beamer down anybody's throat. Certainly, there was probably about 25% of the fan base that, that wanted a guy with head coaching experience. Hugh Freeze was never going to work out. Okay, I'll just tell you that right now. It just never was going to work out. And if you look at Auburn's search, they're saying 0% Hugh Freeze. So read between the lines there uh, Napier had every chance, uh, they considered him strongly, but in the end they went with Beamer. So I don't, I don't agree at all. And I don't think it's factual to say that the average fans out there, all of them, like there's this majority of fans, like eight, you know, 80% of the fans or whatever wanted somebody else. I, I, uh, I didn't see that before he was hired and I don't see it now. Now was there disagreement? Absolutely. Um and I think it's silly to blame the media. Um, and I get I get boy, I mean I I intentionally during this coaching search did not do a whole lot of politicking for Shane Beamer. Because <clears throat> I, you know, I didn't feel like that was right. Uh I felt like, you know, some other folks were looking for in the media were looking for reasons to criticize Billy Napier, who's a good coach, or to trash other coaches. Because they wanted Beamer and and look, I, you know, I wasn't gonna do that. Yet I still get accused of anything I said positive about the guy, it's like ah blah 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 blah. Um and so I don't, I don't think the media had much to do with it at all. I, I think a lot of people in the media, you know, like the idea, you know, because they like Shane. Um and it wasn't just the local media, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of people out there that really matter as far as the players. Uh, who actually played here and things like that, really wanted Beamer. Um, and and I, I don't think that, you know, under any circumstances, is, is, is it this thing where the vast majority of average fans didn't want him? Um, maybe the ones you know, but I don't think that's all the fans. And, and look, I'm I'm paid well to kind of keep up with that stuff and keep my finger on the pulse of, of what most people are saying. Uh, and I don't think it, it was not nearly as divided as the must champ hire which was basically 50, 50, you know, uh, this was, this is more of like an 80, 20. So you're part of the 20% that didn't want it. Uh, and I understand, and I'm sorry you feel that way, but, but I don't think this is anybody shoving anything uh, down people's throats. Um, and this is not the latest incident of uh, incident of anything. I, I don't, I don't remember anything where the wishes of the media and the administration were opposed to those of most fans. Um, You know, and and I'm sorry you feel a divide there, but I I don't see it. If anything, I I feel the divide has gotten a lot better uh, than when Muschamp was there. I know you defend Tanner, but I think many of our problems are because of his poor choices in leadership. I thought he handled the coaching search very well. Um, You know, I'm sorry that. You know, some people don't think that I think people are going to blame him for things because they're frustrated with the optics and they're frustrated with their own. And I think this may be your issue, too. You're frustrated because of your own worldview, not aligning with him. And and that's fine. But but you're not in the majority there in terms and in terms of uh, the Beamer hire. Now, as far as frustration with Tanner, you may be in the majority. (laughs) I, I, you know, I, I, I think these are two separate things, you know, because there are some optics things that Ray has done that have pissed people off. And that's just a fact. Now, I think they're very minor uh, and, and they don't need to go into this fountain of, 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 of venom, you know, talking about how incompetent he is, you know, things like, you know, how he handled the Missouri AD that time or, you know, the the final four men's basketball deal, having that at a game nobody comes to uh, or was nobody's going to come to early in the season. You know, the, those are little things. Those are optics PR things that, you know, quite frankly, you know, uh, I don't think go into anything as far as big picture. Now, he made a bad hire in baseball. He made a bad hire in football. He's got two new hires now. So let's see how they go. You know, as as far as anything – goes like that. You know, I I just don't I don't see that out there. And you know, I I think that um, you know, it, it's an optics thing. And I and I get the whole anti-ray deal. Every time Carolina loses a game, he gets blamed. He's not a GM, whatever. But I mean, you know, I think you kind of are just hurt or butt hurt for lack of a better term. Um, because the guy you wanted to get the job didn't want to get the job. And I don't think you're in the majority on that. And look, I'm not saying that Billy Napier would not have been a great hire. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, this notion that Beamer was the media and admin forcing it down his throat. That's just not true. I mean, I just, I don't see it. And if I saw a big backlash out there, uh, I'd agree with you and say, well, fans should get behind it anyway. But, I, I think you're kind of living in your bubble there, man, with, with all that, because it's been a much more uh, uniting hire than a divisive hire and certainly was much more than champ. I appreciate you old school uh, for listening. I just uh, I just don't agree with that at all. And that's based on facts, the facts uh, in terms of, you know, what I'm seeing and hearing and reading out there. Yeah, so we'll see. But uh, uh, let me back up one second. Do I think more should be done with for average fans of the Gamecocks out there from an administrative standpoint? Absolutely. I, I don't want to pick him my football coach, but I, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's important to have, you know, the majority of fans, you know, supportive of the hire, which they were with Beamer. I think you're wrong about that. But but number two, I think from an administrative standpoint. I, I think that you know, things like ticket prices and doing more, providing more amenities to fans at the games and the fans that you know, don't give a whole bunch of money but that would love to go to the games and are sitting out there tailgating and supporting their Gamecocks or coming to basketball games or whatever, does Carolina need to do more for those folks? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it starts with you know, lowering ticket prices for some people and getting some more folks that maybe used to go that got priced out to come to the games. Um, so, so that's another conversation. I, I, I don't want you to think either that I'm like, you know, this mouthpiece for the admin, and, and think that you know that it doesn't matter what the average fans think, you know. Um, because I do, I do think that's an important part of, of of any athletic program, especially the Gamecocks. That's what it's all about. It's like a family deal. Um, so anyway, that, that's my that's my my take. Old school. Hope you're not, uh, you know. Hope you're not uh, too upset with uh that but but that's kind of the truth uh of the matter. I I just don't see a vast majority of any fans, um, you know, uh, any group of GameCock fans being against this hire. And in fact, there's more supportive of the hire uh than there was Muschamp five years ago. Oh by a good margin too. A good margin too. And, and everybody kind of gets behind it every day. So I don't I don't see you know I, I think that's kind of a the media and Madman, I think it's kind of a conspiracy theory thing. All right. Seth says, Why is the narrative that the state of South Carolina does not produce talent? Uh, not to say it's all five and four star, but a bunch of three-star types that can be developed to play football in the upstate. Has watched a ton, ton of players go on to play power five football and be successful. Your thoughts, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. I absolutely agree, Seth. I, I don't – you know, I, I think it's – you know, Bud Elliott had that uh, article where it was like, you know, these players from South Carolina were inside the top 350 when Beamer was here. And, you know, number one, 350 is arbitrary because there's sometimes up to four hundred four stars So 350 is sort of a little arbitrary. Um, number two, yeah, some of those guys that everybody went out and saw, you know, because there was like – you know – there was an actual Shrine Bowl practice where you watch guys develop and, uh, you know, you could evaluate them well and most everybody played in the Shrine Bowl. And, you know, there weren't guys going to IMG. And, you know, the high school football, you know, year-round situation in the state was a little better. And, you know, JV football wasn't getting canceled. So you had guys that developed. I mean, you know, so, so yeah, you do have – Three star types that that they get that rating, but they could be, you know, really good players, you know, especially in the state. So, you know, I, I think that there's there's two, re, you know, number one, it's always going to be cyclical. And look, there is a myth out there too, just because of the big names uh, that came out in that 0-9, 0-11 period. You know, when you when you get Gilmore and Jeffrey and Lattimore and Clowney, like right right there, you know, and they all go to the same school. You know, those are all. Those are four difference makers. But that's four guys. That's four guys. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not a situation where you know there was this bevy of talent. You know, in the four and five star range in South Carolina, you can go back and look at those rankings all you want, uh, and say, well, they were inside the three hundred and fifty. Well, I could probably tell you that half of them probably busted. You know, and then the guys like DJ Sweringer, uh, you know. Uh, Ended up outplaying them, you know. Justice Cunningham got drafted, you know. You, you, Devin Taylor, <laughs> you know, out, outplayed some of those guys that were four stars. And then you North Carolina same way, you know. Melvin Ingram was a three star guy, you know. So I, I don't I don't think it doesn't produce talent. And I've said this many times on this podcast. Go look at the kid at Virginia. That's the was the freshman ACC freshman of the week playing receiver, a position Carolina needs. This guy's 6'5 and a half, 6'6", you know, playing really well for the Who's. You don't think Carolina could have used him? Don't get me started on Jalen Hyatt either. I mean, I understood he didn't camp well at South Carolina, but at some point you got to kind of look at how fast he is. Um, You know, there's all kinds of guys around the state, you know, at receiver that Carolina could have used now other positions. I think maybe Carolina did a pretty good job. There's guys they passed on that have gone elsewhere. They really hadn't done much to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think that in the secondary, maybe you could make a case for storm duck. Maybe not. Maybe you could make a case for, I'm sorry, I think you can make a case for Nick McLeod, but uh, other than that, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, Uh, You're right. So the state of South Carolina does produce talent. And I I think that if I'm going to – if I'm going to be wrong in recruiting, I'm going to be wrong, number one, with quick twitch athleticism, like no-brainer quick twitch athleticism. Uh, And then number two, I'm going to be wrong with in-state guys because when you're wrong with out-of-state guys and you're sitting there and you you don't have any receivers (laughs) – and you got in-state receivers that have gone elsewhere that you did not offer that are playing well, that's a big issue. <laughs> that's that's when I start getting critical on recruiting because, you know, I can kind of look at players and say, well, this is why this guy could work out with development. Uh, because I always believe it's a developmental game. You know, you just never know. Uh, it's helpful to have four- and five-star players, but it's not something that's uh, – you know, that means every three-star you get somehow a lesser guy. And that's a big problem. I think right now with all college fan bases is, you know, there's this perception that if you're a three-star guy or whatever, you're not as good as a four or five-star guy talent-wise, period. And that's not the case. You know, star ratings are kind of a raw score. And in in the case of 24-7 sports, a composite of long-term potential and upside. So the – Yeah, there's raw talent there, you know, but football—you can't just depend on that. It's got to be molded and all that good stuff and developed. So, so you could be more talented than player X coming out of high school when you're when they evaluate you your junior or senior year and have that five star rating and the three star behind you. He starts developing and you get lazy, and all of a sudden you're not even close to him talent wise. It, It fluctuates, so. That's a good email, Seth, but I tend to agree with you about South Carolina uh, recruiting. Um, Nathan says, 2018 UNC versus 2021 USC. Mac Brown has been really impressive at UNC, beating us, I think, certainly allowed them to get off to a hot start. Would you consider the talent under Beamer in 2021 to be subpart to the 2018 Heels? They've really turned it around in two years. Do you think that's a likely for us or is the schedule the difference? Um, Nathan, I, I don't, you know, that obviously South Carolina is going to play a tougher schedule, but North Carolina, when they played South Carolina, they played Miami, they played Clemson, they played Virginia tech. They played app state in that first year. And they, they eked out a seven and six record. So I You know, can it happen? You know, I I think so. Uh, You know, I think that a lot depends on what they can do at receiver. Keep in mind, North Carolina did have receivers to go with Sam Howell, and they got those two backs that were obviously really good and they could run the ball. I think Carolina's going to be okay running the ball. Um, You know, but but I I think that's the idea uh, for Shane Beamer is to, you know, 2021 – You know, get to that six and six point, go to a bowl, try to win it, get it back above water, and then go from there. One more unrelated question. Do you remember the Clinton running back, Brian Kingsborough? I don't know. The name sounds familiar. I covered some Clinton games back in the early 2000s. Does it go back that far or not? Um, Anyway, send me an email. Tell me about that guy because I I don't know that I remember. Adam says – I used to listen to you when you were working at ESPN Upstate. Uh, It's nice to hear you talk Carolina football again, as I recently discovered this podcast right before 2020. I listen to your podcast along with the Spurs Up show daily, and feel like you guys are the two of the best in the business. My question is, do you or the other South Carolina football podcasters know each other or keep in touch? Thanks for all you do. Go Cox and Dorman Cavaliers. I'm a Dorman Cavalier fan. Thanks, Adam. Now, I don't know that guy uh, from the Spurs Up show. Uh, at all really uh you know he he's he's kind of does a different type of deal than i do um but you know i i, I, I there's no disrespect you know for for anybody out there I, you know I, I, would i do some of the things he's done no do i agree with things he's done no but you know he's out there trying to make a living just like everybody else and um you know, so I don't know him. Now, I do know some of the other podcasters out there, you know, like Keith Olseff from Locked on the Gamecocks. Obviously, he and I uh, have had shows together, and I'm actually a guest on his show again today. And then some of the other guys, Tito's and Chicken, you know, the shows like that. But Spurs Up Show, I, you know, that's not, that's not really somebody I would, you know, probably partner with uh, or be – you know, not that we were partner together, but I probably not somebody I would be on his show or he would be on mine. But let's just put it that way. But I encourage you to listen to the Spurs Up show because I, I think that the more you listen to, you know, you mentioned ESP at Upstate, you know, you, you see what's happened up there, you know, with, with regards to, you know, is, is there anything Gamecock fans can really listen to without being like, you know, quasi made fun of or, you know, getting some ridiculously bad take thrown in your face. No, there's not there's not <laughs> you know yeah you, I mean, you've basically got two choices in the upstate, and both of them are not good and that's no offense to Mark or those guys I, I've known Mark for years I just does it serve the South carolina market no I and mean, I don't think that's even questionable so uh or up for debate I think it's 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 just not something where you know it's 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 not something where I think a lot of Gamecock fans are all fired up to listen to. Whereas, you know, when I was on the show up there, I think Greg and I did a pretty good job, you know, being balanced and and talking about different schools and programs and stuff like that, including Carolina. So, you know, I, I would rather you guys pick out four or five Gamecock podcasts and listen to them, you know, than go through an experience with, with local radio, not just in the upstate, but just about everywhere outside of Columbia where you know you're just not going to get your needs met you know so uh as far as the spurs up show goes and, and all the other podcasts i would encourage everybody to listen to every one of them because it's all part of the same ecosystem and i think it the more people that get into podcast and listen to podcasts, the more listeners we all have uh and, and the more it kind of you know goes to show you that uh the other medium is uh is dying a little bit and probably needs to change uh, to fill the needs of listeners. But, Adam, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your uh, question there. All right, that's all the mailbag for today. And uh, it's going to be a little short show. Okay, so early signing tomorrow. We'll have coverage throughout the day on thebigspur.com and also right here on Inside the Gamecocks. Uh, Also, tomorrow I'll be on with JB and Goldwater, uh, and I encourage all of you to go out and get – Speaking of local radio, this is a local radio slash podcast thing. I would encourage everybody to do this. If you like the live local radio, uh, go download their app, the JB and Goldwater app. And, uh, they stream it every day. Uh, Jamie Bradford, Darren Goldwater. They're really, really good. If you're a Gamecock, you're going to love it. If you're a tiger, you're going to love it. Um, it's absolutely the best, uh, originally generated local radio show statewide, you know, uh, it's at a different time slot than Sports Talk with Phil. Uh, but it's, during the day, it's, it's the best you could probably get. And, you know, you get their app and you just you just stream it, like you listen to a podcast, and then they have things in podcast format as well. Uh, so, JB and Goldwater, I'm a guest every week at 1230, every Wednesday at 1230. Uh, looking forward to that tomorrow, along with some early signing stuff. Until then, keep those uh, five-star ratings coming on the Apple uh, podcasting store. And, uh, we'll holler at you soon. Gamecock nation. This is JC Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great day.